It has been 731 days since Ohio State last beat Michigan in football. Next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's gonna be Michigan again Go Blue, and yes, I am a jubilant host of your program. My name is Steve Dace, and it's not just because it is the Christmas season. Yes, I am a Christmas slappy, but for, well, what now? The last 38 years, I've also been a Michigan slappy. Since we first moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, the week before Thanksgiving in 1983, and I was head over heels for football for the first time at that age. I'd become a huge fan the year before uh, and watched every, especially NFL game I could get my hands on and every college game I could watch if I wasn't playing with my friends on the weekends. And I tune in and watch Michigan defeat Ohio State with Steve Smith and Rick Rogers. Michigan defeats Ohio State, then goes to the Sugar Bowl, plays Auburn. I was absolutely hooked. I loved the song. I loved the helmet. I loved the uniforms. I loved everything about it. And since then, it has been, frankly, a love affair between me and the maize and blue. Um, Before I moved into our house 15 years ago, I painted the two great rooms in our finished basement, the official color palette numbers of Michigan's logo. One is maize and the other is blue. When our son was born, I painted his room maize 
and blue. Uh, other than my faith and my family, I have probably had nothing bring more joy to my life and frustration at times than being a Michigan fan, which is why these last few years have been so difficult because I was getting bitter. I was getting jaded. I was getting cynical. And, you know, I don't think so, but it may have come out a time or two here on the show recently. Just saying. And then there was the win at Penn State, which, as I said here a few weeks ago, I thought pretty much all but guaranteed that we were going to the Rose Bowl because the idea we were beating Ohio State just wasn't even on my radar. I mean, not after the last 20 years. In fact, after the 2019 Ohio State game, first time ever I did not watch a Michigan-Ohio State game to its completion. I just turned it off early fourth quarter, took my son to see Creed too because we both agreed that we had dangerously low T levels after watching that one. And we just had to find something that would help us to recover our fledgling manhood. I made the vow here at that time that I'm not watching another one of these until Michigan makes it a rivalry again. And last year, I was heading to Kong versus Godzilla, and then the game got canceled because of COVID. And then this year, I had already made arrangements to go see the new Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I know some of you think I didn't really go see that movie. And yet, here's my ticket stub um, from going to see that film the 12 noon on Saturday, November the 27th. Because, and even our producer Aaron here doubted that I would live up to this. In fact, the better Michigan got this season, the more of you thought there's no way I'm going to... fulfill this vow it's the opposite the more that it looked like Michigan football was really good the more likely I'd fulfill the vow because now it's even more painful to lose to Ohio State again and I got up that morning I enjoyed watching all the game day shows and enjoying the atmosphere and revelry but the minute the game came on I'm I'm on eject heading to the movies didn't regret it at all I did record the game just in the off chance Michigan does something that I thought had no chance of happening and they won. You know, I was off my phone. My son was going to come with me, my teenage son Noah, teenager now. The boy that for his 11th birthday, when I showed him I was taking him to his first Michigan game, our first 10th birthday, when I showed him I was taking him to his first Michigan game against Hawaii, literally broke down and cried. He was so worked up. Went, to, went dressed up as Jim Harbaugh two years in a row for Halloween. And the last couple of years, it's been hard to get him to watch football games with me anymore. We watch every basketball game. But it's been hard to get him to watch football games with me anymore. And so we were set to go to the movie, and he stops me on the way out the door, and he says, Dad, I just, I think I got to watch this one. I think I got to see this one through. And I said, I get it. I understand. But I I can't. I don't don't want this feeling as a fan. I I don't want to feel like I watched all season, enjoyed it cheered these guys, loved on them, and then at the end of the year, I get disappointed, and it feels like the whole season was a disappointment and was worthless and no point to it, and it just, I don't like the person it makes me, so I've got to eject, but he stayed behind. I get home, I get down to the man cave, turn it on before anybody tells me what happened, and I watched it in real time, and I mean, I love this shot. 
of Juwan and, and Jim after the game. I was a little loud, a little boisterous. Um, I might have said a few words that I would otherwise maybe not say in polite society, particularly when, you know, Roman Wilson got his helmet ripped off and there was a melee on the field or that video following the Ohio State team up the tunnel. Uh, I mean, and then afterwards, man, I'm not ashamed. I cried a little. So many negative emotions, so many curb stomps, so many boot stomps, so many punkings. I love this team. I've loved it since I was 10 years old, living on um, Vineland Avenue in Grand Rapids, Michigan. A dead-end street. And the way it was done, the message that was sent, 20 years of pain, because I don't count 2011. That's, as I've said on here before, that's more insulting that our only win was against an interim coach. I just as soon have lost that one too. That's even more pathetic. The only game you could win was with a with a mat with a with an interim coach and they're six and six. Noah and I are now like hugging in the garage. I'm I I'm I literally got like 30 plus texts from friends of mine around the country congratulating me like I had something to do with it. Right. And and I think what made it even worse is, you know, the guy on the left there, the football coach, was my first favorite player as a Michigan fan. I mean, I loved Jim Harbaugh growing up. And for like the next 20 years, every time I created myself and then later my son on the NCAA football game, I always gave myself or Noah number four. And this was more when we brought him home in 2014, on December 30th, 2014. That was more than a coach hiring. That was a marriage. The most decorated quarterback in Michigan football history, All-American, third in the Heisman Trophy balloting, the guy who guaranteed the win against Ohio State and then went and backed it up. The first Michigan quarterback ever to throw a touchdown pass in the NFL, be drafted in the first round of the NFL. That was a marriage. And I think that's what made it more personal the last few years because just as the fondness is deeper in a marriage, so is the disappointment. And because it's double disappointment. It's not just that you want the arrangement to work. You like or care about the person on the other side of it. And and so it works the other way. In the last week, I can't speak for the rest of you, but in the last week, it's like the previous five disappointments that he had against them just like never happened. Josh Metellus never dropped that interception in 2017. JT was never short in 2016. We were never running play-action passes down by 30 points in the third quarter in 2018. Okay, I haven't totally forgotten those things, but um, the, the despondency, the disdain over them, gone. Because it feels like, it feels like a relationship's been redeemed. And I've already watched this game three times. 
and I'm probably going to watch it a few more. And I just am very thankful that it happened because I really didn't believe we were ever going to beat Ohio State ever again. I didn't. But just in case I was wrong, so many handicappers whose opinion I respect were saying things last week like, hey, my power ratings show that the number on this game ought to be two or three points, but no way I'm betting Michigan. You got to lay it with Ohio State. And I'm like, in no other matchup would a handicapper go against his own power ratings by like almost a touchdown. So just in case I was wrong, last week I put $100 down on Michigan on the money line, plus 250 to win. Michigan, uh, 10 to 1 to win the Big Ten championship. And Michigan, 5,000 to 1 to win the national championship. Well, that first ticket has paid off quite handsomely. Thank you very much. But as much as I enjoyed cashing that check, it didn't come close to this moment of seeing my son's fandom from his youth, well, he's still a youth, but small youth, uh, come roaring back 100% to see my own fandom come roaring back as well. And that's why this time there's no Kool-Aid or histrionics that'll go viral like I did a few years ago. This time it's just, man, it's just unplugged. It's raw. It's because I'm a Michigan fan, and I have been, and I've lived and died with the maize and blue since, you know, I was a 10-year-old on Vineland Avenue in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I will until they put me in the ground. But that hasn't been a lot of fun during football season the last few years. But this season, if it's accomplished anything else, and I hope it ends in a Big Ten championship and a playoff berth and maybe more, but if it accomplished nothing else, it accomplished, for me, the most important thing. It's fun again. Well, the calendar is about to turn to basketball season. And if you like sports handicapping and you like Michigan podcast, a great way to marry those two is to support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. College basketball last year, we were 59 games over 500. We hit 56% of the games in the NCAA tournament. We correctly advised you to take Baylor at 6-1 to one to win the NCAA tournament, which they did. We had a very good college basketball season last year, especially down the stretch, and we're loaded for bear now for the new season as well. And yes, we'll continue on with our football handicapping as well. So make sure you support us just $5 a month. Who knows? It might win you some money when you go to patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. Boy, that intro, that that what we call a wipe here in the in the business, has never been more appropriate since we debuted it than it is right now because it's no longer an homage. It is a rivalry once more. And I was listening to Ben Hartsock, former uh, outstanding tight end for Ohio State back in the day, played about a decade in the NFL, who was up at the Michigan-Ohio State game as a guest with our former captain and All-American John Jansen. They've become broadcasting friends. And he said, Ben said afterwards, as pissed off as he was that Ohio State lost, he couldn't help but get a little emotional because he knew that at the very least it meant that this great game, this spectacle, this grand tradition of college football 
was back. I mean, this was the 12th time that Michigan and Ohio State have played each other with both ranked in the top 10. No other rivalry in college football history comes even close to that. I think the next closest is like seven or eight. All right. So we'll find out if Mark Rogers, who, when he's not being a bucknut, also is the voice of college football on his own outstanding YouTube channel. And he's a good friend and he joins us now again for the 10 minute war this week on Michigan podcast. So Mark, welcome back. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and I'll start with that. I, I you know, relayed what Ben Hartsock, fellow Buckeye, said on uh, Sirius XM uh, about witnessing the defeat in person, but then actually being a little emotional for the Michigan uh, pl- players and program, knowing what it was like, because he was at Ohio State when they were coming out of the Cooper years, knowing what this is like on the other end of the rivalry, and then realizing, hey, maybe this thing's going to be the spectacle it always was once again. But what are your thoughts, Mark? We've switched uh, roles here, Steve. Uh, you're going to have to console me for a few weeks <laughs> or maybe a few months now. It reminds me of a conversation I had when I first took a job at ESPN in 2001. So that will spark a particular incident mm-hmm. and moment in this rivalry for you and everyone else that knows it uh, well. Uh, I was tra- being trained at uh, ESPN by a Michigan fan. And when it came up, I'm from Ohio, big Buckeyes fan. Then we took on the conversation of the rivalry and he was bored with it at that point. And at that point, Hmm. it hadn't extended to anywhere close to what it's been for Ohio State's dominance in the last 16 years since going back to 2003. But he was bored. He said, "Ah, Michigan State's our rival. Notre Dame's our rival. Yeah, Ohio State, we, we have to play him the last game of the season. But... I would actually like to see Ohio State win some games uh, for this to become a rivalry. Well, he didn't know what he was asking for because, <laughs> let alone just a couple months later, Jim Trestle wins his first and it goes on from there. Um, so I would love to have that conversation with him now. But um, it, it's it's a strange mix of emotions because as we've argued and debated on here, I still clung to the rivalry as a rivalry. Now, my perspective being much different than yours from this side of it, from the winning side almost all the time in the last 20 years is different. So, boy, it's it's just what what is going to be fascinating is to see whether this was truly a turn of the landscape of the Big Ten in this rivalry. We see that the two rivalries that come to mind that have been lopsided that have power programs on each side to a certain extent, not to this extent, but it's not an Oregon, Oregon state situation, Auburn, Alabama, Auburn, a tremendous program, but not in Alabama's league. And they win occasionally, but Alabama owns the series and has for a few decades now. Um, and, And then the other one would be Oklahoma, Oklahoma state. And again, I am not raising that rivalry or those programs to this level, But Oklahoma State's a really good program, a top 15 to 20 program in the country, something in that range, and they never beat Oklahoma. Well, of course, they did a little bit later on Saturday just to to think, okay, is this going to be just what Oklahoma State and Oklahoma's experience from time to time where the the Cowboys jump up every six or seven years and win a game? Auburn in the the same um, way uh, against Alabama, but don't take over the rivalry don't swing it to the other side or has have we witnessed a swing in the pendulum of power in the big 10 well for people that don't know the history of this series 
So you mentioned Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, for example. Oklahoma State going into last week had only beaten Oklahoma 18 times ever. Okay. The history of this series has been with the exception of the 10 year war that our uh, segment each week is, is named after has not been one of a back and forth series. This has been a series where one team dominates for a stretch. Now the, the 10, two and one, and then the, you know, 16 out of 18, I think it was, those are longer stretches than what we typically see. But what we typically see is one guy once one guy loses three or four times in a row gets fired and then the thing kind of reboots right okay that's that's typically how this has rolled um and you know here's the thing with where these programs are at from a you know from a recruiting standpoint from where ohio state is at uh you know and unless he takes an nfl job or something i might i don't i don't see a you know that there's a slip a slippage coming with the ohio state program Michigan's recruiting, it's the 2020 and 21 class, I've told you before. When you look at, for Michigan, it's a different situation. Because even though it is a football factory, it does its best to not act like one, even to its own detriment at times. And so there's a certain kind of culture that players have to fit into. You know, and I think Jim recruited a lot off of recruiting lists his first few years. And, you know, you look at the 2017 class that was number four in the country, that class got totally wiped out by attrition almost. You know, the 20 and 21 classes are like perfect, meaning that they were ranked like eighth or ninth. So loaded, still very talented. But now we've got a lot of guys who are more team guys that are get fit more into the the overall culture that Michigan on an academic basis demands. All right. It's not like Ohio State, you know, where your new president comes in. I wish it was. Your new president came in last year and her first words were like, "Ah, we're going to fight back against the Big Ten for canceling the season. Okay, our president was the one leading the charge to cancel the season. Okay, so at, at our at our at our school, football is sometimes at odds with the overall uh, mission of the university at your school football is is tantamount to it They're, it realizes it's a key aspect of it and so for when, the way we have to recruit a little differently we need guys that will that don't expect that they are going to be able to just do some things that they should probably be able to do as football players but they just won't be able to do that here if you know what I'm trying to say okay and I think Jim has finally cracked that nut and realized he had to recruit more he had to recruit more like he did at Stanford where instead of trying to get a top five class every year, get an eight to 12 class. But these are all guys that understand the, the culture and can assimilate. And so I think you've seen the culture change has been dramatic. The resiliency, it's not just a, it had been a front runner program his entire tenure here until this year. They never came back. They never won as an underdog. And so... You know, the standing of these two schools with where Ohio State is at in recruiting, and if Jim has finally figured out the the culture that he needs to recruit to at Michigan, then I think you could be looking at a period of time here where we go back and forth. Because, I mean, most of our best players, with the exception of Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, but most of our best players are in those earliest two classes. And um, so I, I, I think there is a possibility here that we could be getting something that we haven't had in the rivalry since the 10-year war, where on a year-to-year, now that Michigan has shown that, that, that it knows how to, pardon the pun, crack the nut here, both programs are in a position, especially if, you know, with Penn State, James Franklin's 11-10 in his last 21 games. His best coach just left today, the D.C., the guy that's basically carried the program the last few years. 
Uh, I, you know, Mel Tucker in Michigan State's a great story. I don't know that you can win the transfer portal roulette thing like every year, you know, and and there isn't a program in the West that recruits at the level we're talking about here. So I, I think we might get something we haven't had here in about 40 years, Mark. It, it's possible. We could get, you know, these two guys in the center of the ring giving the country and the conference the game that it has long deserved. Possible. Or this Steve, was a fluke. You- we'll see. Well, I don't think it's a fluke. Um, Steve, what you just outlined sounds very familiar to Jim Tressel's approach at Ohio State, where, of course, he was churning out NFL players all over the place. But there was still this homespun community state pride matters. Mm -hmm. It's not just Urban Meyer. We're getting the best athletes. Mm -hmm. Sure, we've got to maintain a relationship with the state of Ohio, unfortunately, the the high schools play at a certain level where it makes sense to maintain that relationship from a talent standpoint, but you got to go elsewhere. Where Jim Tressel truly believed in the fourth quarter when it gets tough that most likely that Ohio-born and bred player is going to fight for his school and his team more so than a guy from Texas or California. And so that sounds familiar. Uh, And also just the psychology of what we witnessed between the lines that may extend now to the programs about the toughness, the determination, the confidence. And that's a very fragile thing because I think we, at least between the lines, it may not extend to the programs long-term, but it may. We saw a, a, a switch flip because when you're, supremely confident and you've proven it and there there's still a fragile line where if you see yourself as being supremely dominant but that's challenged and then it's proven over the course of a play or two or 10 or a series or a half and then the doubt creeps in well that doubt is even more powerful than doubt for most of us uh, from day to day in our lifetime, if we're in that supreme confident place, because we are really shaken because we didn't expect to be challenged mm-hmm. psychologically or to have that fear instilled in us to that degree. Yep. And suddenly we're punched in the mouth and met with that. And, and I think we saw that psychologically play out in this game. Maybe Ohio state just couldn't again, get up to that level of emotion and, you know, we talked about it, I believe, and, and I You know did, what this looked uh, a lot like, Mark? It looked like when Jim was at Stanford and they played Oregon. That's what this looked like, okay? Yeah. Where, where they're, they're playing, you know, a modern version of old-fashioned blocking and tackling football and winning at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Chip Kelly's got all the latest innovations, right? And against teams that cannot match up with him on the line of scrimmage, he just blitzkrieks them. But when he finally met a team that could and could force them to play in a phone booth, Jim Harbaugh, whether it was, well, and did the same thing to Pete Carroll too, for that matter. This is what we actually saw at Stanford when they would play USC and Oregon when Jim was there. And I think, I think what we've, I think, I think Michigan fans and Jim himself thought that the key to beating Ohio State and getting to that next level was adopting the same offensive approach that a lot of these other places have, like Ohio State. And so they even tried to do that. They brought Gaddis in in 2019, and that didn't work. What are they running this year? They're basically running Jim's Stanford offense 
but not in you know a lot of tight formations that allow you to put nine in the box and get away with it. They're still spreading you out with multiple receivers, but we're running pin and pull. We're running power, counters. We're running Jim's Stanford offense. And, and, and with defenses not able to consistently put eight or nine in the box formationally, this is now where the level of offensive line that we recruit every year will actually be able to dominate a lot of teams playing this way. And, and I think that this looked a lot like when Jim was at Stanford against Oregon and USC against Norm Chow and Chip Kelly, and they had all the bells and whistles, but Jim forced them to play in a phone booth and they couldn't play and match up up front. I don't think – did Ohio State have a single tackle for loss? I mean, you know, Michigan's last – every drive in the second half was a touchdown. Michigan actually only fa- only had two third downs on offense, and they were they didn't count because they both were overruled by penalty. So Michigan officially played no third downs in the entire second half. They put up 42 points and threw the ball four times in the second half. Okay? So I, I think that's the other fascinating factor here is you've got Ohio State with an offensive, you know, guru – and you guys are all in on the new age. And Michigan's figured out, you know, if everybody else is going to zag, why don't we zig? You know, why don't we just go get, we, we, why don't we go get the best players that can play physical football and just own that space while everybody else is out here trying to get to 50 every single week, right? And I think they figured that out. I think Jim figured out that it wasn't about scheme or any of that stuff. It was about culture, that he had to create a college program, not just guys coming here to get ready for the NFL, but that would win for each other and win for Michigan. We haven't really had that here since he first took over. The more his recruits came in, the more transactional and robotic this got. I think this is the first time that this, since his, since 2016, this is the first team he's had that the guys were really here for each other and for Michigan. To extend on your point, what we saw in the run game for Michigan was just as effective as Oregon, but in a very different sense. Mm -hmm. If you watch the Ohio State game against Oregon, Oregon's gashing them for long runs. Ohio State was completely out-schemed. They were tricked in the running game. There weren't there weren't Ohio State would be tacklers on the on the TV screen most of the time as Oregon guys were just running down the field without any resistance. Completely different against Michigan. The Ohio State linebackers they were in position to make tackles they mm-hmm. weren't missing assignments you didn't see these gaping holes right the, michigan was just pushing just physically bullying them pushing them around uh it was tough to watch from that standpoint yes just to get for those of us old enough to remember the around. era that when it was a 10-year war and yeah yeah go back and watch the first drive there's a moment in the first drive where Michigan is just pushing the pushing Ohio State all over the field on the way to that first opening touchdown drive. And I think it's Andrew Stuber, who I think is an Ohio native, by the way. Stuber looks our senior tackle, he looks over at the bench and he's and he's yelling and doing this, meaning that keep running it. These guys cannot stop us. Okay. We used to see offensive lines with John Jansen and Steve Everett and and all these we I we used to watch Michigan teams do this for 30 years. I mean, we maybe the best tackle in the NFL, Taylor Luan, came. It came from Michigan. He played on some of the worst freaking offensive lines I've ever seen at Michigan. Okay, we haven't been able to do this. I think that's the thing. And everybody looks at Ohio State's receivers, and they are they kept y'all in the game. I mean, some of the catches and stuff they were say, making were crazy. If Ohio okay? State couldn't throw and catch better than anybody in the no country, doubt. that would have been. I mean, just the a fact that this was even competitive into the fourth quarter is because those guys are every bit as good as everybody said. But if 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 you go back and you look at the previous games, 
It's been Carlos Hyde. Um, it's been J.K. Dobbins. Okay, it, it's it's been Ezekiel Elliott. Those guys running for 170, 200 yards. Okay, that's been the difference. And in this game, we were the team that dominated the run game. And I mean, Blake Corum's out there getting 60-yard runs on an ankle and a half. You know, and I think I think that's what that's why this I think is 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 a turning point. And when I say turning point. Ohio State's going to be too good for Michigan to go out there and win like four or five in a row, okay? But a turning point in that this thing is going to be year to year. We don't. It's 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 an open question who wins it now. And there's two other factors to think about here too with that. And uh, and 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 one and 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 well, one other factor I mean NIL. You know, Ohio State is is one of the, you know in Columbus there. That's one of the largest markets that has a major college football team in town, Columbus. Michigan has one of the as maybe the largest wealthiest alumni base of any public university in the country. If those two schools decide we're going we're going we're going ape, we're going all the way on the NIL front. And you know up here in the north we've complained about the bagman and stuff down south. With all respect to this SEC. Bubba and his in his seven or eight used car lots that he owns down there. Ain't nothing compared to the alumni base we got up here, guys. Nothing. Okay? Nothing at all. And if, if, if schools like Michigan and Ohio State up here in the Big Ten decide with those alumni bases, they're going all in on the NIL front, then I think what that does from a recruiting standpoint and a player retention standpoint, where maybe your, your backup five-star is sticking around now because he's got a nice NIL check rather than hitting the portal and starting all over again, I think that that has that that if Michigan has figured its culture out because we know Ohio State's not going anywhere, if those two schools decide to really fully embrace NIL, particularly Michigan, because Ohio State's kind of already at that recruiting level, then I think you could be we could be on the brink of something really special in the history of this rivalry. I'll give you the last word. Yeah, the result of that could be a return to the ten-year war, which not necessarily from a playing style, but. Watching this matchup not just mean something to these two states and inside the Big Ten, but be what it was this year, a top five matchup most of the time in college football and really take hold as the rivalry, not just from a tradition standpoint, but from the landscape of a college football playoff and it meaning something for both teams almost every year uh, going into this game. Steve, I cannot let you go, though, without knowing some little scene or give me a vision of what it looked like for you as you were leaving the movie theater how that all played out in regards to you finding out 4227 i had the game recorded on dvr i had no idea what had happened had my phone off i gave it to my wife after the theater after we got to the theater um and got home went right into the man cave and um uh watched it all unfold in real time without knowing the outcome and as I said here before you came on, I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. I I got a little misty-eyed, man. I shed a few I shed a tear or two at the end. Okay? Because it wasn't just the win, it was the way that it was done. There was nothing fluky about this whatsoever. All right. This wasn't, you know, we actually lost the turnover battle in the game. Ohio State fumbled three times and recovered all three. Okay. There was nothing fluky about this at all. And it just it, it it kind of felt like an exorcism, for lack of a better description, like we, like a, a toxin had been purged 
you know, and you know, you get you know it, healed. Okay, I mean I, that's kind of what it felt like, you know. And I got a little worked up and emotional, and uh, my son and I hugged in the garage afterwards. You know, we were both really worked up and emotional about it. And he looked at me and he had tears in his fourteen-year-old eyes. He goes, "Dad," because he stayed behind. He was going to go to the movie and decided to stay behind and watch it live. He thought he had to give Michigan one more chance. And he goes, "Dad, you weren't here. And I just got to admit." You won't be proud of me, but I got pretty worked up and I probably dropped a couple F-bombs. I just wanted to say I'm sorry. <laughs> so we had that conversation. So that's what it, that's what it was like uh, over at the, uh, the Days Homestead, in case you were wondering, brother. Well, my choked up moment might have been before the game when I looked at the weather forecast the <laughs> night before and I, I yes. texted my two kids about 2 o'clock in the morning yes. the night before and, and I texted... Weather forecast for Ann Arbor at noon tomorrow, 23 degrees and snowing. Uh-oh. Yes. Under a cold, a gray November sky, the Michigan Wolverines rode again. Thank you. Mark, good to see you, brother. All right, we'll do it again next week. All right, Steve, good to see you as well. All right, take care. And that brings us to this week's Twitter poll. I asked this question, and I got the lopsided response I figured I would. Should I start a new tradition of not watching the game live until Michigan loses again since it clearly worked this time? 72% of you said yes, 28% of you said no. And you know what? I agree. See that little check mark there? I agree with you. I'm all in on that. Dude, if, if Mich- when we were first married, if, if we were playing well and Amy left and we were playing bad, I'd get mad. And then if, if if we were playing, you know, good while she was gone and then came home, I'm like, yeah, a few other errands to run. I'm a total believer in that stuff. So next year, I don't know what the big movie release is next Thanksgiving weekend, but if it worked this time, dude, I will do this every freaking year. All right. For the maize and blue. That, that's my pledge to you, fellow Michigan fan. This week's feedback of the week from Tyler Reynolds. He just, he just tweeted back, very simply, I cried. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I cried too, dude, and I wasn't ashamed either. Like I said, I've already watched this game three times. These, these games are three and a half hours. Well, it's Fox, so four and a half hours. All right? All right, that'll do it for this week's episode. And hopefully, uh, a week from now, we are back here again talking about Michigan doing something it has not done since 2003 when an outright undisputed Big Ten championship. Hard to believe. It's surreal to me that this is the first time Michigan has gone to an Indianapolis to play in the Big Ten championship game against the pesky Iowa Hawkeyes. 1985-2016, these guys have just have a tendency, all right, when we're ranked number two in the country, all right, to you know, to, to curb stomp us, so we cannot let that happen again. All right, so hopefully Michigan gets it done in Indianapolis by any score, wins the Big Ten, and then advances to its first ever appearance in the college football playoff. But even if that doesn't happen, we'll still have what happened last Saturday.
Don't forget, you can uh, like, rate, subscribe, five-star review, share, uh, whichever applies. If you're watching here on YouTube or listening via podcast on iTunes or elsewhere, you can also follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast to keep up to date on what we think about everything happening with the maize and blue. By the way, good luck to the basketball team. Big week for them, North Carolina, Wednesday night in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and then San Diego State on Saturday at home. So a couple of perennial NCAA tournament teams. Hopefully Michigan basketball gets back on track and hopefully we've got a big 10 championship to talk about next week when we see you then go blue This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.